The New Testament lesson is from Acts 2 today, verses 42 through 47. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayers. Awe came upon everyone because many wonders and signs were being done by the apostles. All who believed were together and had all things in common. They would sell their possessions and goods and distribute the proceeds to all, as any had need. Day by day, as they spent much time together in the temple, they broke bread at home and ate their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having the goodwill of the people. And day by day, the Lord added to their number those who were being saved. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Well, the book of Acts is written by Luke, we believe. It is 48%, which I don't know who sat down and actually labeled that all out, but they have determined it's 48% travel narrative, 25% speeches, and the rest are counts of dramatic episodes and speeches by various believers. It's a book that tells all about the actions and the beliefs of the early church, and especially in these early chapters, we hear over and over again of the enthusiasm of the congregation, how last week we heard that 3,000 people were added to the number of believers. And today, everyone devoted themselves to prayer and to fasting and to breaking bread together, which not only means your usual daily meals, but also the special meal of Eucharist communion, which we will have together today with you in your homes and just a handful of us here at the church. It's reassuring to hear that they celebrated communion in their homes. Prayer characterized Jesus' life, so prayer characterizes the life of this group of followers, and they shared everything, something that the rich young ruler was unwilling to do in another book of the Bible. They want to promote the growth of the way, as Christianity was called in its earliest times, so, of course, what we read about here are the best parts of those early days of Christianity. Oh, sure, as you go along in Acts, you do hear about conflicts that arose, about people that didn't get along, about people who carried one set of beliefs and another group who carried another set of beliefs from where they had come from before. But overall, in this phase of Acts, we have encouragement and good reports. You know, if you're trying to add people to your number of your group, let's say your Sunday school class or your small group, you don't tell about the last picnic the way you might tell your spouse or your children when you get home from it. You might have had a bad time at the last Sunday school picnic, and you came home and said, well, we had a potluck, and everybody but one brought a jello salad. And they had a live band, but it was so loud we couldn't hear each other. So we had to get right up in each other's faces to be heard. And then to top it all off, it started raining right in the middle of it, and everybody had to run for cover. If you really wanted to gain new members, you would tell it like this. We had a picnic, and the tables were groaning with food. 
We had wonderful music and people got really close while listening to it. And no one went away dehydrated. So we remember the best of what church is supposed to be. And now in this time of being separated, we remember the greatest of what it means to be a congregation. If we are starting to forget, we have to remind ourselves that we have a really good thing here. And we still have a really good thing, even though we're all not in the same room. Now is not the time to get discouraged. Now is the time to build one another up, love each other, and take care of each other. Well, someone who is a favorite friend of mine and my family is John Woolley. He, you may remember, was an entertainment writer for the Tulsa World for many, many years. He's also written a bunch of books, mainly novels, some of the horror type. He's also in a 60s revival band called the Moody Dudes, which many of you maybe saw right before the pandemic arose and they had a performance here in Tulsa. He also has a Western Swing radio show every Saturday night on KWGS called Swing On This. And you always get to hear San Antonio Rose every time that show comes on. Well, I got to know him through the Chelsea First Presbyterian Church. When I was working Monday through Friday in a chaplaincy job, I had Sundays free. And because someone he knew knew me, I got a call saying, would you drive up to Chelsea a couple of times and preach for us? We need some pulpit supply. So my then, I guess, 92-year-old father would go with me just to make sure that I got there okay. And we would take his walker out of the car and we would walk into the church together. And that little congregation of 16 people made my dad and my mother, when she got uh, released from a Sunday morning duty she had, feel like the most special people on the planet. And when my father discovered that there was a man in the congregation who had been a body double in the movies for Sam Elliott, he kept saying, I think I better go with you again just so you'll be safe. And so he could go talk to Rick about what it was like to be in the movies. Fascinating group of people. Well, John Woolley was one of the most fascinating and continues to be. He emailed me the other day to say, how are you and your mother and your sister doing? Here's how life in Chelsea is. Sounds like life up there is about the same as it is here. Everybody's staying home and trying to keep in touch with each other. But he said, you know, it's interesting. I'm in this kind of sci-fi, pulp fiction world. And even in that world, I've had questions coming to me from people. Two main questions rise to the top. One of them is, is God punishing us with this virus? And then the second one, John said, was, how can there be a God if this is happening? I read that email and thought, that's too much for one sermon. But then I decided, why don't I look at that a little bit? So is God punishing us with this virus? And is there really a God? Are we doubting? How can there be a God if God allows a pandemic to happen and if it causes the deaths of over a million people? Well, let me ask you this. If I had an actual answer to that question, how would it change the way you live your life from this day forward? What difference would it make if you had an answer to that question? Well, let's play with this question a little bit. Ironically, when you're looking for something, you'd kind of find it. 
I found a wonderful article in Sojourners Magazine this week written, written by Reverend Jason Ash, who's a PhD student at the University of Maryland. And he talks about how in theology we have grappled with this question of theodicy, why bad things happen to good people, since Bible times. Even in the time of Jesus, people asked him, who sinned, this man or his parents, to make him blind? And Jesus said that's not the way to think about it. Historically, we've asked this question, and as thought evolved, it was thought that maybe tragedies happen because God wants to put us in our place and remind us that we are mortal. Okay, we lived with that for a while, and then we started looking for other answers. Eventually, people started coming up with the idea, as they had with that blind man, that maybe punishment, uh, suffering really is a punishment for sin, and that God really is punishing us in what we are dealing with currently, which would lead you to think that every tornado, every earthquake, every traffic jam, every time you can't get a good parking spot at the restaurant you want to go to, God is punishing you. Ash reminds us that assigning judgment and blame are incongruent with Christian teaching and provide little solace to those who are suffering during this pandemic. If you've ever grieved, you know you don't want your best friend to come up to you and say, sorry for your loss, I guess God is punishing you. In our congregational care ministry, we learn right off. That's not what we're supposed to do. Ash goes on to say, most importantly, this theology of illness that we have that means that God is punishing you establishes a social hierarchy in which God's grace is not equally sufficient for everyone. And he, a person of color, reminds us that unsurprisingly, COVID-19 has disproportionately affected persons of color due to underlying health concerns, a lack of access to health care, and sadly, physician bias in some cases. Those of you who have done the Living the Questions video and study series know Dr. Emily Towns of Vanderbilt University. She reminds us that any theology that says that suffering is punishment is susceptible to being shaped into a tool of oppression. So it's not punishment. What if this pandemic is not a purposeful act of God at all, Ash goes on to write. Perhaps because we live in a complex world of unearthed biological mechanisms and unseen physical particles in nature, a novel illness has emerged. Our interactions with the environment allow for viruses to evolve. And if this is not a divinely orchestrated plot against humanity, then there remains the hope that God was not surprised by this either. God can still be in control, prepared to respond, and be able to equip us to handle a novel virus. This theological response does not dismiss any of our fears, nor does it erase any grief we feel in our lives. But now we can imagine a God who weeps with us and yet is still sovereign. It allows for Christians to reimagine what it means to stay connected to each other while staying home to protect those we love. Whether we stream services online or return to evening prayer calls, we can still be Christians who abide by the orders. For where two or three are gathered, or perhaps just one, God is there also. We are 
a nation, a world of people who are hurting. John Dickerson, who's a historian and also on and off anchorman of CBS news programs, he said the other morning on the CBS This Morning show that we are a culture in convalescence. So it's time for us to be good to each other and take care of each other. I've included in the worship bulletin today a big list, not comprehensive list though, of websites and telephone numbers and places you can text for help if you're struggling with addiction, depression, suicidal thoughts, if you need food, if you need help with your rent. If you didn't already go and download that or print it off, you can find it on our website after the service on the place where it says worship, you'll find a tag under that, worship bulletins. And I'm gonna use that in a devotional this week for Facebook. Well, I felt taken care of this week in so many ways, but in a big way, a 15-year-old in our congregation has come over twice. His name is Dallas Campbell. He's the son of Reverend Eva Marie Campbell, and he kind of needed a project. So, I have told enough people about my bamboo problem in the backyard. And I left a moment of silence because if you have bamboo, you probably went, oh, no. Um, The Saturday morning gardening radio show that my mother listens to, every week someone calls in about bamboo, and the host just says, don't plant it, don't plant it. It's hopeless. There's nothing you can do. You will never get rid of it. Well, a 15-year-old with a big knife seems to be part of the solution. So Dallas has come over twice and helped me cut down all of this bamboo. You know, I didn't know how much bamboo I had until I saw this pile growing in the backyard. Every time I looked out the window, I couldn't see Dallas, but I could see these 20-foot stalks of bamboo just waving in the wind and then, ah, falling over onto the ground. So we've already carried one Volkswagen bug-sized pile of limbs to the front yard for the city to pick it up, and they did with their big crane. Only cost $10. Now we've got another one that now we're going to shuttle to the front yard, and this week hopefully they will come back and pick it up. But you know what Dallas has done for me with his brush clearing? He has introduced me to my neighbors. My backyard abuts three different yards because it's such a long and wide yard. I've discovered that I live behind three friendly little dogs, one of them whom only has three legs. Her name is Angie, and she's just the sweetest thing ever. I had heard her, but I had never petted her head, and now I can. It's like I have a dog, but I don't have any other responsibility for taking care of her. What a gift. And then yesterday morning when I was out doing a little raking, I heard a phrase that I have never heard over the fence in my backyard. It was this, good morning, neighbor. Yet another neighbor was discovered. I found, I found, I live right behind two other Methodists who were very friendly and very chatty now that we can see right into each other's backyards. The husband told me all about how long they'd lived there and who exactly planted the bamboo and who I have to have ill feelings against. Actually, it seemed like a good idea at the time but the poor soul didn't know the truth about bamboo. Anyway, we visited for a while. He introduced me and my sister and my mom to his wife, whose father died this February. Little did I know we would have that in common. And sadly, her mother died last week. 
And she, like so many people, is unable to go through those natural, healthy rituals of gathering with extended family, having a funeral, feeling blessed by your church or community. So there we were in the backyard with our rakes and our shovels and our various gardening tools, talking about what an odd time it is and how distant we feel. So my new neighbor said at one point, you know what my father loved to do? He loved to garden and he taught me how to be a gardener. He in fact had planted seeds at his retirement village in the little garden that they allot for the residents who lived there. He had just planted radishes before his health started to go downhill. Would you like some? And we said, well, sure. Uh, You've had time to harvest these radishes? She said, oh yeah. When he died and then when my mother died, one of our thoughts was, what about all the vegetables? So she ran into the house and came back with the most beautiful Ziploc bag full of the most beautiful round radishes I've ever seen in my life. And in her other hand, she had a bouquet of iris. And we took those gladly, and I thought to myself, here you are, the bereaved person, and you're giving us food and flowers. Where two or three or five are gathered at length over a chain-link fence, God is there also. Now is the time to honor people who have passed on by eating their radishes that they love so much to cultivate. I'm so glad to have these new friends and to already have so much in common with them and to have one more connection. You know, my neighbor's closing thought was, we've all got to work together to fight this bamboo. And he's right. We've all got to work together to fight bamboo and take care of each other. It does take a village. My favorite news program is the PBS NewsHour. And this week, an author named Kelly Corrigan was featured. She's written lots and lots of books, mainly about being a mother to two girls who are now college age. But she wrote a really good essay about how she's handling this virus. She writes, sometimes when I feel outmatched by the thing in front of me, I do a little mental exercise. I tell myself the story of what has happened as if it's over and that I nailed it. So my success fantasy about COVID-19 goes like this. At first it was awful, nothing but bad news on top of bad news. But then we rose up. We made soups and stews for shut-in people and dropped them off so they felt included and secure and nourished. We read books to children over the internet. We stepped outside at the end of the day and played music and clapped so that each of us knew we were not alone. We sent pizza and Chinese food to the ER to sustain both our hospitals and our restaurants. We called old friends and told them things we'd forgotten to say. I miss you. I still think of you. Remember that time? We all turned up, all of us, on our screens to keep businesses afloat. And in so doing, we're exposed to the more tender elements of our colleagues' lives. Pets and children were now, to our mutual benefit, in the frame. People figured out why they don't need fancy equipment to exercise. We stopped flying around and jumping into cars for no reason. Everyone planted things they could eat. We played cards with our families. We had long conversations. We identified what kind of learning can be delivered online. We discovered that teaching is the most complex, high-impact profession known to humans, and we started compensating our teachers fairly for their irreplaceable work. Everyone voted after the virus. Kids who lived through the virus valued science above all, 
they became researchers and doctors. We came finally and forever to appreciate the profound fact of our shared humanity and relish the full force of our love for one another. Amen. <laughs>